Hi everybody, John Porteous here for the Levels Township Historical Society, and you're listening to the Backcast Podcast. Hey, well, we're closing out the season. It's uh, We're getting ever closer to the end, so we've got one more show for you this season after this, and uh, encourage you to stay tuned. We're going to have some fun stuff uh, throughout the winter season uh, as COVID stretches, uh, our ability to have hot stove uh talks at the township hall is probably going to be negated so uh we'll try and make up for it with some podcasts for you so stay tuned in the meantime this week we've got al borchers and i'll turn it over to glenn to do the formal introduction well welcome uh backcast podcast fans uh this is another session with uh glenn eberly and uh our sidekick uh john porteous and we've got a really good surprise for you today. Uh, when you uh, think of uh, famous families of the Osaba watershed, you think of uh, the Babbitts and the Stefans and the Wakeleys and the Madsons. And if you stop there, I think somebody would say, hey, what about Borchers? Uh, and today we have with us uh, a Borcher relative. Uh, we're delighted to have Al Borcher with us. Uh, Al, welcome to the Pod- Backcast Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, we're looking forward to a good session with you today. Um, I guess uh, probably a, a good good way to start, John, would be to ask Al, uh, you know, you grew up in a very famous family in Grayling, uh, surrounded with uh, fly fishermen and guides and, and cooks, as I understand it. Would you share with our, our listeners what it was like growing up uh, as a borsher? Um, it was a good time, you know. Um, grew up on the Manistee River, um, just off from the 72 Bridge, and um, you know, from what I can remember, you know, I had a fly rod in my hand, so, um, I was definitely kind of, you know, the scene from a river runs through it where, you know, I came from a dry fly family. So, you know, that was our option. You know, we weren't, you know, into nymph or streamer fishing, but we threw dries all day. Hmm. That's interesting. Now, now your dad yeah. was, uh, Al Borchers. Um, so yeah, my dad is, I'm actually the third, so, um, my dad goes by Bill, but, um, yep, and then my grandpa was Al, yep. Uh, I want to ask you about your grandpa. I think, uh, your grandpa, Al, and and wasn't his wife Zoe? Zoe, yes. Yeah, I think, uh, if I remember, they owned the, uh, Osabo Inn, which is on, was on the site of what is today Gates Lodge. Yeah, so, um, the way that all started, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, so it was a Sabalin, um there was a cousin of mine, apparently, that owned that, and um, it burned down, and after it burned down, they purchased um, that property from them, and then built what was Canoe Inn, which later ah, turned into Gates Lodge. Yes. That's it, Canoe Inn, okay. And I think your your, your Grandma Zoe was uh, quite a cook, if I heard the stories right. Yeah, yeah, she had a pretty good reputation going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your grandpa Al was a tie flies. I re- I know. Yeah, so um, he is a fly tire um, caretaker. He caretake for George Mason um, for all oh, about ten, twelve years, and after that he moved over to Ginger Quill, um, mm. and that's where he, you know, ended up right there, um, and then guided for both George and people at Ginger Quill. Yeah. Oh, nice. I, I heard a story from uh, a, a fly tire in Grayling, a pretty famous guy, Jerry McLean, 
Uh, and, and he told about uh, going over to uh, the Canoe Inn, and he'd tie flies. He was a youngster at the time, and it was your, your grandfather, Al, that and Jerry said he kept coming over. Every time I'd tie flies, he kept coming over saying, now, Jerry, don't crowd the head. And Jerry said, I had a problem getting <laughs> too busy around the head, and I couldn't finish it right. He said, I'll never forget that. Every time he'd come by, he'd say, now, darn it, don't crowd the head. <laughs> I could picture it. Yeah, I think we all have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> if we tie flies, you start having that exactly right. <laughs> that sounds pretty familiar. <laughs> <laughs> sure does. Um, gosh, now, you had a pretty famous great uncle, too. Uh, that would have been Ernie, wouldn't it? That would have been Ernie, yeah. Yep. Yep. Did you get to know him? No, no. They all, you know, passed away early. Um yeah. So my grandpa was 47 when he passed. Ernie was in his early 50s. So oh. um, I never had a chance to meet them. But oh, too you know, bad. The stories live on. Yes. Oh, they do. Um, now uh, the, the story of the Borsher fly is is a good one. Did you did you hear the what what is your version of that, Al? Are we talking about the condor quill? <laughs> uh, yeah, supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, that's, I don't know where that part of it came out, but, you know, that was not true. Um, you know, talking to my dad and Jerry Reed and, you know, all the old-timers around here, um, you know, back then time, you, you know, you didn't have Amazon or the Internet to order material, so you had what's available. Mm-hmm. And what do we have available around here? Turkeys. So yeah. it was definitely the original fly was a turkey body. It wasn't kind of a quill. Well, I'm really glad to hear you say that because – I had a chance to get to know uh, uh, his daughter, uh, Barbara uh, Borshusoka, and her, and her yep. husband, John. And she told me, Glenn, that is not true. My dad never used condor quills, and, and I, I kind of left it alone because it's been a, a rumor or, or a, a tale of the Osabo for years that that's what he used. But it's, it's nice to have that confirmed for all of our listeners. So let's, yeah, let's watch yeah, that's that a, now. That's a good one I got started. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh, the condor quill. John, I had a, a fellow uh, from Big Creek Lodge uh, give me a bunch of fly-tying material um, that his dad had, and he didn't know what to do with it. And lots of times we get those, and, and we, you know, Al, like we turn them over to Mason Griffith TU, uh, and they use them for kids' tying programs, and they're wonderful. You know, lots of chenille and feathers. And there's one little packet in there with one feather in it, and there's a white label with black letters that says condor. And Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, <laughs> I actually have one. I'm probably going to get reported now. Maybe I should take that into the DNR, Al. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, you might have to turn that one in. <laughs> Put it right in there with that polar bear. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, hey, God. wait a second. <laughs> now, now, do you tie, Al? Now, are you tying yourself? Yeah, I do tie. Yep. Uh-huh. And, and when you're when you're on the road, say in in um, early spring, what are your what are your favorite flies? Oh, early spring, it's it, you know it just depends on how the weather breaks. But you know, as far as dry fly fishing, the first fly I'm I'm pretty much really fishing is the borchers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so you got you little use- stones coming before that, but you know that's that's the first dry fly I really get on the water. Yeah, but you use the borsher a lot. 
I use it a lot, but so does everybody else. So it's yep. it's kind of the running joke on the river of what's Al got on, and my response is, well, what do you have on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Well, now tell us about you, you. You grew up with a fly rod in your hand, and that's that's for sure. Uh, what are your early memories of uh, of fishing with uh, with your dad, your family? Um, we did both, you know, so being right on the river, um, you know, we waited a lot. So I've got a younger brother. So my dad and my brother, Brian, you know, we, you know, every night kind of make it down to the river and do a little fishing. Um, and you know, the early years it was, you know, little brook trout flats and stuff like that around there. And then, um, you know, as I got older and, you know, kind of, got the leash let out a little bit um you know it really started to evolve from there and um you know my dad did a great job teaching us and by the time i was probably 13 i was fishing hex on my own you know i was kind of let loose to kind of go do what i wanted to do wow that's neat 13 years old and you're out there oh wonderful wonderful i wish we could get a bunch more doing that at 13 now right so so al what when when you were fishing the hex at thirteen, were you, were you over on the Manistee? Yeah, I was mostly Manistee fishing growing up. You know, just it was in the backyard, and you know, um, we you know our you know kind of boat trips we would do. Um, we would tend to make it to the main branch and the south branch stuff like that. Um, but you know, I would say ninety percent of my fishing growing up was on the Manistee. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's great. Mm. That's awesome. Uh, I have a, a few questions about uh, uh, your guiding and when you started guiding. Uh, you're, you've been guiding guiding today now full time. Uh, tell us about starting and, and how did that happen? You know, so um, in high school, um, I ended up getting a job at the Fly Factory for Steve Southern. Um, mm-hmm. So I got that job when I was 16 years old. Um, so I worked for, you know, in the shop as a shop rat for a few years. Um, and then, um, after graduation, I turned 18. Um, you know, it was literally within the week of me turning 18, I went and got my guide's license and, um, yep. Started kind of doing some overflow trips for Steve that year. Um, and you know, since I had a late birthday, my birthday's August. So, you know, I kind of missed the good part of the season, but you know, I, I got some later stuff in. And then mm-hmm. the next season, um, you know, started doing more overflow for Steve there. And um, I also got a job guiding for Twin Pine Lodge um, in the oh, Holy okay. Waters for Dave Waltz. So started doing trips for him. Mm-hmm. And then um, that lasted a few years. And then um, ended up getting a job in 2005 up in Alaska guiding up there. Ah. So... Well, yeah. Tell, uh, <laughs> don't leave us hanging on that one. Tell us a little more about yeah, where and uh, what, uh, what that was like. Yeah. So, um, yeah, up there. So, um, my first um, job up there is at Cat My Lodge, um, Bristol Bay, Alaska. So, um, you know, got the job, went up, got my captain's license before heading up there. Um, spent eight years at Cat My Lodge, um, and then after that, um, switched over to Mission Lodge. Um, same Bristol Bay region. Uh, Mission Lodge is um, considered a fly-out lodge, though, where 
they have three to Havlin beavers. Um, you know, we've fished 20 plus different rivers, um, had boats stashed all throughout the country there. Um, and I've done seven years there. Um, and I still kind of go back there to help out, you know, um, not really full time in Alaska anymore, but you know, I try to get a week or two up there helping them out and, you know, kind of get that itch taken care of. So, Oh, nice. Now, what is that all mostly the rainbow fishing up there, or what is it? You know, it's a combination of everything. So, um, you know, both lodges, we have all five Pacific salmon. So, kings, sockeye, chums, silvers, pinks, um, every other year. And then, yeah, the rainbows, the dolly varden, arctic char, um, grayling. You know, we we get the smorgasbord of everything up there. Oh, nice, nice. And, and and that's that's really good fishing, isn't it? I mean, it, it, people can get spoiled up there, can't they? Yeah, it's it's hard to explain until you get up there. Just the sheer number of the fish. It's you know, um, the lodge I worked at, Mission, um, we're just on a little river, you know, no wider than the Asable, pretty much. And mm-hmm. um, we would get five million sockeye that would swim by that lodge in a year. <laughs> Holy moly! Oh my God. So if you can imagine what that would look like, it's it's pretty amazing. Oh my God! You just walk across the river on their backs, or <laughs> I mean, you you could just do a swan drop dive in the water and grab one. It's it's pretty amazing when that's going on. Don't, don't that's they incredible. Crowd, the crowd out? I would think they'd crowd out the trout, and then once that they pass, well, they, you know. They get along. So what happens with the trout up there? It's kind of it's really interesting. They know that that's their food source, okay? So mm-hmm. where they're coming off the spawn, the water they're holding in throughout the winter, spawning in. Once those sockeye start running, they jump in with the sockeye and run up river with the sockeye to the spawning grounds. Huh. So um, when I was at Katmai Lodge, around the Olegnak River. So the Olegnak was a great early early like June trout fishery, mouse and streamer fishing, okay? But once those mm-hmm. sockeye got there, all of our trout ran up to the moraine, you know, oh, which is did. actually about a 100-mile trip to get there. God. And then, you know, the trout all, you know, and, you know, there's definitely trout from other little streams and stuff would all go to these same rivers. Mm-hmm. And that's where that rainbow fishing is really good, where, you know, you get these trout all condensed in one small area. And, and they then, don't die um, when they spawn, so they. No, nope, nope. They're they're there. Um, and then when those sockeye die, or all the salmon up there die, um, and their carcasses are getting washed out, that's what then drops the trout back to where they winter. They just keep following that, you know, washed out carcass down the river, and yep. Oh my gosh. Well, John, I got to put that on my bucket list. How about you? Uh, yeah, I th- it has been, and I think maybe we're just going to move it up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Do it early. Do it while you can. Well, I think yeah. I think that's the key to most everything. <laughs> I agree. I think we're going to talk to Al before we book that trip, though. I think uh, you've got a lot of years up there. Fifteen in total, you think? I've got yeah, fifteen years up there. Yep. Oh my God. So if I if I would have made it this year, it would have been sixteen. Yep. Yeah, so a little bit of an adjustment yeah. when you come back from fishing like that to uh, our watersheds, isn't it? It's a little bit, but the nice thing is it's a change of pace. So it was really nice um, once I got my seniority built up there. You know, I was able to fish, you know, until July here. And then mm-hmm. um, I would jump up there for a couple weeks, you know, a month, 
um, you know, I had the ability to come back for a little bit and then head back up to and kind of finish up up there, you know, this time of year. So, oh, that's um, nice. it was actually a really good gig. Um, it worked out really well. Now, how does that work out with family? You know, that's, you know, that was, you know, one of the changes, um, you know, so I actually had, um, great girlfriend at the time, wife now, Monica, um, you know, she kind of got it, kind of let me get up there and do my thing where, um, for the first eight years we were together, um, I was never home for her birthday or anything, which, you know, most people find amazing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's pretty crazy, but I'd be, you know, I'd be up there, you know, sometimes three months straight. So, um, Mm-hmm. You know, it was a little rough for that, but um, sure, I've got sure. two little kids now. So once the nice. kids came and play, that's when I really kind of dialed it back up there. And um, you know. yeah, good, good for you. They they need they need to have some coaching on how to cast and how to how to land fish. You know, you, you can't be going all that. That's it. They're they're already <laughs> in training. They don't even know it. <laughs> Are they? <laughs> yeah. Well, they've got a wonderful uh, career ahead of them too. Uh, that's that's great to hear. Now, how old are they now? Um, so my son Drake is three, and my daughter Zoe is two. Oh, Zoe! So named after your grandmother? Yep, named after my grandma, and then Drake is named after the the family the, fly. So the famous fly—that's fantastic. Hey, that's podcast awesome. listeners, how's that for information? That's wonderful. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Drake and Zoe. Oh, terrific. Yep. And it, well, it's now fun. We, Drake's already been tying flies, so he's he's already into it. It's great. At three. Oh, my God. At three. He's already sitting on Dad's lap tying flies. Well, now tell him not to crowd the head. <laughs> We're <laughs> working on it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, now, you, you probably had some steady customers up in Alaska, didn't you? Clients that would. Oh, yeah. Here. Yep. I mean, the great thing up about up there is, you know, after my first few years, same way as here, is you built up your clientele. Um, and both lodges were great lodges. We had about a 90% return rate for clients. Oh, that's so, terrific. So um, you had the same clients the same week every year. Um, and, it, uh-huh. you know, you know how it goes. They really, you know, they're clients the first year or two, but after that become more friends, and um, it's sure. worked out really well. Oh, nice. Now, did any of those clients get to the Osable area and the Manistee? Actually, yeah. I've actually had a few of the groups kind of show up here and do some fishing with me. So um, oh, that's good. been really good. And I've had the pleasure of getting some of my groups here up to Alaska, too. So sure. um, it works uh-huh. out really well. Oh, nice. Now, did you you never got down to the White River or did any of that, did, did you, in Arkansas? No, I've never, I've never made it to the White or, you know, I've really been stuck in Michigan and Alaska. Um, never yeah. made it out west or anything yet. So it's, it's on honest. the list. On your list, yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like you didn't need to fill up in much with the Alaska in there for for uh, a place to go. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was, it was good getting that in early. Mm-hmm. Well, Al, I think we told you before uh, we actually got on that uh, – our uh, our exhibit this year, which was canceled because of this wonderful COVID going around, um, was uh, it was river guides and their stories. And uh, we've had some guides on, and we've had some pretty good stories. And as as I've mentioned, I think there, I know there's some stories that we probably can't share with our listeners. <laughs> but uh, if you look back over your your guiding career, would would you share a few good ones with us? I, I, you must have a ton of them, and. Our our, our uh, fans do enjoy uh, good guide stories. 
Oh, yeah, there's so many to choose from. Um, you know, the bad thing is over these last 17 years, I've probably forgot more of the stories than I can remember. But um, <laughs> I'm sure. You know, there's always a few that kind of stick out. Um, you know, one of, I mean, you know, a lot of the stories are big fish lost that kind of haunt you. And um, uh-huh. those tend to be the ones I remember more than anything. But this one was particularly kind of, it still gets me. Um, we're on a fly out on the Marine Creek up in Alaska. Um, so the Marine is, you know, the Rainbow Mecca, kind of that area. You know, it's it's really your chance to land a 30-plus inch rainbow. Okay, that's, oh. you know, that's your goal up there. You know, that's that's the marker. And mm-hmm. um, had this client, we were fishing this nice run. Um, and the lodge at the time, I don't know what their reasoning was for this, but they would not allow us to bring nets on these flyouts for rainbows. They thought, you know, I think they're still in the mindset of the old cotton nets that could hurt the fish, you know, and this is when the rubber nets were just kind of coming out, okay? So they wouldn't let us bring nets at all. So, you know, I learned up there really quick how to, you know, hand line these bigger fish in and not typically not lose them, hopefully not lose them. Well, this particular day, we get, you know, this monster rainbow on. Um, still, to this day, it might be the biggest rainbow I've ever had a client hook in Alaska. Oh. Um, it was a monster. And, you know, after about 20 minutes, 15 minutes into this fight, um, we've kind of got this fish beat. You know, it's, it takes a lot of luck just to land a fish over 30 inches up there. And so this fish kind of comes in, um, you know, and He's going to turn and make that last little swim out, you know, not really around, but a little swim, and then, you know, I can get him. It's going to be done. So, I mean, he's, you know, right now within 10 feet of us. I mean, we're pretty much at the leader. And he kind of swims out a little bit and turns a little. And at the same time, a sockeye comes up and is porpoising and gets the leader in its mouth, and now they have teeth and snaps the leader. Oh. And our... You know, oh. this this rainbow was probably around 34 inches, I'm going to guess. Um, oh. It was it was a big one, and we had to watch it swim off. Oh. 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 Dagger. Salmon actually, salmon cut it loose. The Sam, the sockeye cut it loose, and, oh. you know, the bad thing for the sockeye is we end up snagging a sockeye, oh, within oh. about 10 minutes. And I, I took a little aggression out on that sockeye. <laughs> I guess it wouldn't surprise me. Oh, what'd your client say? So that you can repeat. Uh, I mean, he was, you know, we were all heartbroken. You know, oh, it was, sure. you know, a typical reaction. He thought he messed up, and I was like, no. I mean, it was just bad you, luck. You, did, did, the, did the client see what happened, or, or did he realize that? Yeah, there? yeah. He seen what happened. It was slow okay. motion. Um, yeah, it was. It was a heartbreaker. What a just saying the slow motion line, I just it just magnifies the picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lord. I mean, you know, I mean that story probably happened, um, probably eleven years ago, twelve years ago, and it's still fresh in my head. It still gets me. Oh my gosh, the biggest fish you've ever hooked. I mean, that was. I would have to say, you know, at least the one I could see, you know, that was, might have been the biggest fish I've had on the line up there. Oh, my gosh. What do they throw at those? What do you what do you use up there, streamers or 
Um, it depends on time of year. Yeah, uh-huh. so early season we're fishing, you know, leech patterns, um, bunny like bunny leeches, um, sculpin patterns, and um, the mouse up there is excellent. Um, really? Daytime mouse day? is probably my favorite up there. Yep, it's crazy compared to Michigan, I know. But yeah, yeah all daytime day, mouse and um, yep. But then you know, once those sockeye get in and they're starting to spawn and lay their eggs, we switch over to bead patterns, um, and this is a great kind of little thing. So. With these this bead fishing, we don't get into it up here on the asphalt, you know. But what we really do is we take different colors, plastic beads, orange, chartreuse, light orange, dark orange, dark row, and we paint them with different shades of nail polish to give them different looks of eggs, from fresh eggs to fertilized to dead eggs. So um, I've actually got a nail polish collection that would make most women jealous. <laughs> <That's> great. great. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I can remember, you know, going in and, you know, buying nail polish and you get some of the strangest looks you will ever get. <laughs> you can bad. only imagine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and the bad thing is, is, you know, you don't realize this is nail polish goes out of stock, out of style, okay? Sure. So, um, one of the most popular nail polish colors is a wet and wild brand. It's called 434. And, <laughs> you know, when it was, you could go to any Rite Aid when they had it in stock and it was two bucks for a bottle, you know, no big deal. Well, then they discontinued it. Okay. So a few years ago, I'm scouring the internet looking for more cause I'm now out and I found two bottles for 60 bucks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I had to pull the trigger. Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, my God. What a great story. <laughs> oh, that, you, that, we don't use those on the Yosabo, though, huh? It's, yeah, it's, you know, not up here. You know, it's actually got pretty popular in Michigan down in the lower Manistee for the steelhead down there. Um, it's catching on there. But, um, yeah, the innovation of the bead fishing up in Alaska, um, it's really, really taken off up there now, too. So. I, I was in uh, Baldwin last weekend with my son and grandson uh, salmon fishing, and and we were in a couple of shops, and I I, I know we saw some some unusual looking egg colors, and they were like beads, so maybe yep. they're selling there. You've probably seen them also. Yeah, yeah, they're like I said, they're catching on here. And the good thing about the bead fishing is, um, you're not killing as many trout in steelhead with it, so. You know, because you're pegging these beads about two inches above the hook. So when they're grabbing that bead, that hook slides in the corner of their mouth. Compared to uh, the old glow bugs that we were using, where they're actually swallowing those glow bugs. And, yeah. you know, taking it deep sometimes and getting it in the gills. So um, this new bead fish has actually really helped out the, the mortality rate on these rainbows, especially in Alaska. That's a good story. So you've you got them tied a, a couple inches above the hook. Yep, if you peg them with a little toothpick or they got little clear pegs now, um, and you just peg it right there, and yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's nice to know. Yeah. Well, okay, so, now how about a, how about a story from uh, uh, down this way? Oh, a Michigan story. Um, I'll tell you, um, one of the coolest ones I had was opening day. Um, this was actually a few years ago. Um 
you know, floating down around the Manistee, actually. Um, and hadn't seen any really fish rise yet, so we're just throwing some streamers around and come around a bend, and I seen just a little brook trout rise. So I asked the guys, I was like, hey, you know, looks like there's a little brookie on the water. There's a couple of Hendrickson's floating around. Um, so you guys want, you know, get a dry fly fish? And they're like, yep, that sounds great. So I've got the boat anchored there, and I'm, you know, switching things over. I look downstream, and I see a nice trout rise. I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's a pretty good one. And then I see another one rise about 10 feet from it. I'm like, wow, that's, that's another really good one. So I was like, all right, guys. I was like, this is kind of going to be, you know, go big or go home right now. So we get down there, position up on these two fish, and um, had both guys cast at the same time. You know, front guy, you know, bottom guy took the bottom fish, top guy took the top fish. And it was like a simultaneous hookup. They first cast each. They both ate at the same time. So we hooked both these fish, and they're both good, good fish. So now it's, you know, lines crossing, trying to, you know, keep things from tangling. Um, We ended up landing them, and they were 17 and a half and an 18-incher. Oh, my God. So first dry fly cast of the year for each person, yep. (laughs) It was a 17 and an 18. Oh, my God. John, you know, those two guys are probably telling that story this morning somewhere. I could only imagine. I mean, that's a season spoiler right there. You just hang up the rod and go home. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, I kind of told them that, too. I was like, guys, like, I don't know if I'm going to top this for, you know, early season ever again. Like, this is, you know, and the bad thing is, you know, always, you know, fishing with them year after year. You know, we always talk about this. I'm like, oh, I just sure. don't know if we're ever going to beat that. You know, that was, it was pretty amazing. What a wonderful story. <clears throat> it's always fun to be so, part of something like that. Hey, oh, sure. you know, Glenn, what, one thing we, we haven't asked Al about is uh, what, what's your take on the uh, on the stream lunch? How do, how do you work that with your clients? Uh-huh. You know, um, it depends on the client, you know. Um, over the years, you know, guiding, you, you learn to try to read your clients, okay, because everybody's different. So, you know, some people really love the, you know, bringing the barbecue and cooking the stream lunch and, um, you know, bringing chicken, pork, steaks, all that stuff. And some people want the fishing time, so they just, they want to grab a sandwich and take a bite in between casts. So, yeah, um, you know, you really just try to kind of gauge what the person wants. Um, you know, I personally, I love cooking on the river. Um, just this nice break, lets everybody stretch your legs a little bit, get out, move around, but... Um, some people just like the the sandwich and go. Yep, sure, sure. Do, yep, do you ask I, I them? Ahead, no, go ahead, Glenn. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Do you ask them ahead of time, Al, just to kind of make sure, especially a, a new client? Yeah, yeah. I try to get in touch with them. You know, like this year's a little different. COVID going on. Um, you know, or legally we weren't allowed to do it. But yeah, I try to you know ask them. You know, and it depends on the trip too. You know where. If it's a hex trip and we're late night, you know, we're not getting on the water until after dinner. So most of the time they've already ate, so it's just bringing snacks and stuff to get you through the night. Um, But the daytime trips, you know, most of the people like cooking out. Mm Mm-hmm. And it does help, you know, with this Alaska connection I have that I can get fairly fresh salmon up here. So um, that's (laughs) definitely been a hit with a lot of the clients right there. I'll bet so. (laughs) <laughs> Grilled salmon 
on the Manistee or the Osable, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to beat. Maybe a, a bottle of wine or a few beers in there too. Um, yeah, you know, definitely throw some beers. Um, I typically don't have many people bring wine. You know, I've done. I actually did. I this is a good little story here. Had a client book a trip on his anniversary and didn't realize it. Oh, so geez. he calls me up and you know he's like Al. He's like, I'm in the doghouse. He's like, I don't know what to do. And it's it's supposed to be good fishing. You know, I'm pretty sure. I want to say it was June, so it was either Drake's or X. So I'm like, okay. I was like, this is what we need to do, okay? I was like, bring your wife with you, okay? And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this awesome, like, dinner on the river. So I got salmon, some steaks. I got wine, like I did it up, made it, you know, a really fancy dinner, even brought candles, you know. Oh, I mean, wow. I did him a solid, and at the end of the day, he's like, you saved me. He's like, that was perfect. <laughs> That's awesome. Well played, sir. <laughs> you know, well, so, I mean, we all make mistakes, you know, and let's just get, a, get some people out of them. Oh, my, that's great, great story. Was his wife a fisherman? Um. I wouldn't say an avid fisherman. You know, she's been out previously with me, um, but, you know, it wasn't necessarily her thing, but she didn't like going, so. Okay. <laughs> what a good story. <laughs> Candles on the uh, on a dinner on the river. Nice move, Al. Nice move. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out. It worked out. Oh, jeez. What, what do you throw at them this time of year when you're taking clients out? I mean, you know, right now we're in that little transition period now where, um, you know, we're starting to see those brook trout and those brown, browns kind of pot up a little bit, kind of kind mm-hmm. of getting ready for that spawn. Um, so it definitely changes things up, especially, you know, with this colder weather we've had lately. Um, our surface activity is really kind of diminished, but um, uh, I'm a big fan of the wet skunk. Um, that's kind of a good go-to for me for the last, you know, part of August and through September. So, I'll be darned. Now, is is that the the all black that uh, Neil built uh, created, or is it the the white legs? Um, you know, it's the, definitely the black with the white legs. Um, olive with the white legs. Um, I definitely stick with that white leg theme, but I do. I will change up that body color. So, okay. Okay. Well, I have a, a friend uh, who's helped us on river mapping up here. John has done some of that, too, on the uh, north branch of the Osable. And uh, he's kind of new to fly fishing, and he wanted me to take him out one more time. So uh, if, if it's okay with you, I'm going to take your advice and, and uh, tie up some black uh, uh, wet skunks with white legs, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, the wet skunk, it's, it's hard to beat. You know, it's, that fly's been around for almost 100 years now, and it's still catching fish. It sure is. Was that Madsen's? That was Madsen's, yes. Yep. That's, uh-huh. And I remember talking to Tim Neal. I think he said he came up with the all black. He put black legs on it, too, and he, he liked that quite a bit. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and Tim was Tim's a great wealth of knowledge around here, too. Um, oh, you know, the story has it, too. Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure how this worked out, but from what I've been told is Tim Neal's the first person to parachute to Borchers. Oh, is that right? No kidding. Oh, yeah, so, you know, yep, the original orchard was always a hen wing. Um, right. And, yep. yep, 
so talking to Jerry Regan and everybody, um, Tim Neal was the first person to parachute it. I'll be damned. I did not know that. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Wow. We could go on for about two more hours, but uh, <laughs> I think we had all kinds of stories. So, Purdue, <laughs> sure that's a great way to, to end this session, and uh, we can't thank you enough, Al. Uh, wonderful stories, and uh, great to hear more about your background. And uh, uh, John, I wish you the very best. And again, thank you very much for your part in uh, making our Backcast podcast an enjoyable session for our uh, our, our listeners. So. Thanks so much, and uh, we hope you have a great day. Well, there's another great one for the book. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And again, we'll be back next week with our season-closing episode. So uh, stay tuned, and we'll do some housekeeping at the end of next week, too, So uh, as to set expectations going forward. So again, thanks for listening, and uh, while you're out there, mind your backcast. cast.